0: Well, let's open our Bibles together again to the Gospel of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 5, 7 to be exact, will be our focus today as we continue through our sermon series on the Beatitudes. Now, but Before we read and consider this passage, let me briefly take a step back and just make sure that we are all clear on what Jesus is teaching here. It's important at this respect in the Beatitudes that there is a subtle shift where Jesus turns from focusing on our own personal relationship to God, And now turns really to consider our conduct conduct towards others. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers, for example. Our merciful disposition towards others is the focus here. Well, in this respect, it might be easy to think, okay, he's talking about now what we do. Things that we do. But again, we need to stop and we need to remember that what we do is is not really the point here. He's going to get to what we do later in the Sermon on the Mount. Rather, Jesus here is continuing to speak not about what we do, but about who we are. These are beatitudes. They are virtues. They are characteristics. They are dispositions. They represent the state of of the human heart. And it's only from the state of the heart that actions then follow. So we need to remember, brethren, we have to first be a member of the kingdom of God before we then can live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. We have to first be a Christian before we can act like a Christian. We have to be born again before we can live the new life in the spirit but to be indwelt by the spirit before we can walk in the spirit and bear fruit of the spirit so i remind you of this so we know again what jesus is doing here And, and that's particularly important because jesus it sounds like here that jesus says if you show mercy then you earn mercy for yourself we'll consider that more in a few moments We need to start here and remember who he's talking to and what he's talking about. He's focusing on who you are, the blessing of who we are as citizens of the kingdom. And and, and he's giving those blessings upon those who already bear the marks of the Holy Spirit. We cannot reverse that order. So with this in mind, then, let's read the passage. We can read it in context, beginning in uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Remember, brethren, this is, this is God's word. I am the reader, but God himself in Christ is the speaker. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Amen. Would you bow with me again in prayer? Our sovereign Lord and God, we are reminded as we come to this passage that you call yourself the Father of all mercies. And that is the name which we appeal to this morning and this hour. You would descend to us in the Holy Spirit, we pray, and that you would show us mercy. Mercy, not giving us what we deserve, but giving us grace in Christ, your own self, the fountain and source of all blessing descend to us, we pray, in the Holy Spirit, as we ask you through Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm sure most of you are familiar with the well-known book and the many movies that have been made from it, uh, Les Miserables. The book opens, it's a novel by Victor Hugo, a 19th century novel, of course, but the book opens um, with a main character, Jean Valjean, being released from prison after serving 19 years of hard labor. Upon his release from prison, he's a criminal. He's got a record. He finds it very difficult to find room and board and employment. And he quickly then becomes bitter and angry. But unexpectedly, when he's at his wit's end, a bishop takes him in and feeds him, and cares for him, gives him a place to stay, showing him great compassion and mercy, considering, of course, that he was a criminal. But in the middle of the night, one night, Jean Valjean gets up and he robs the bishop of his valuable silver. And he escapes into the night. The bishop had fed and clothed and lodged him when he had nothing. And what does he do? Jean Valjean repays him by robbing him instead. Well, later the police catch him, and they find this valuable silver in his possession. They instinctively know that he shouldn't have this. This is stolen. So they bring Jean Valjean back to the bishop. Do you remember then what happens? It's central to everything else that follows in the narrative. The bishop covers for him. He tells the authorities, no, I gave him that silver. It was a gift. And he even feigns before the police that Jean Valjean had forgotten a few things. He takes down the the silver candlesticks and he puts them in his bag. And he says, hey, you left without these. What's wrong with you? The police, of course, are stunned. They're taken aback. They're forced to release him. But as the bishop sends him away, he says to him, don't forget... It is your soul I am buying for you. You no longer belong to evil, but to good. If you know the rest of the story, then you know that this astounding show of mercy had a profound effect on Jean Valjean. The rest of the book focuses on how this one act of mercy transformed his life and behavior. He ends up becoming a, a, a philanthropist a philanthropist of, of, of sorts, if I can say that. He helps a, an impoverished prostitute when nobody else would help her. He takes in an orphan girl. He saves a man from death. See, the bishop spoke metaphorically of buying his soul with that silver, but, but he spoke better than he knew because... Uh, 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 such a profound demonstration of mercy indeed transformed Jean Valjean into a preeminent man of mercy himself. And brethren, I think this beautifully illustrates what our Lord speaks of in our passage today. Jean Valjean didn't become a man of mercy because of any inherent goodness or rightness in himself Rather, he saw and experienced his own desperate need for mercy. He became then aware of, of, this, of the needs of others, and this transformed him into a man of mercy himself out of thankful gratitude and for out of the amazement for the mercy that had been shown to him. In this respect, see the progression of the Beatitudes here. Poor in spirit, poverty of soul. And that produces mourning because of our helpless condition. And that leads to meekness, submission before God. So we cry out and we hunger and thirst after righteousness. But but what then? Seeing and embracing the righteousness that God freely gives us as a gift. This astounding show of mercy given to us that inflames our heart to show mercy toward others. That's what we see here today maybe to put another another way the blessedness and happiness Jesus describes here is the instinctive flow of a heart that is captivated by and in love with the mercy of God that's what we see in our passage today the blessed and happy life is found in seeing the mercy that is given to us in Christ and then becoming the hands and feet of mercy where We show that same mercy to others. That's how to be happy in the gospel. That's how to live a life that is flourishing in the spirit. So, to work through this today, I want to answer three questions Who are the merciful? What does a life of mercy look like? And how do they themselves receive mercy? Who, what, and how? Who are the merciful? How do we define and understand what it means to be merciful? Well, as we consider this, we need to think first and foremost, or recognize first and foremost, that mercy is an attribute of God Himself. The scriptures call um, God the Father of mercies, the God of all mercy. We know that this is central to how God revealed Himself to Moses um, in Exodus 34, passing before Him and declaring the Lord, the Lord God, a merciful and gracious God. We need to begin with this aspect that, that mercy is an attribute of God. If it's an attribute of God, then it is thus a gift of God. Mediated to us and through the Holy Spirit. Now, I start that way because... You know, we can talk a lot about mercy, and we will talk a lot about mercy. And there is a type of mercy that is worldly, and by that I mean earthly. Uh, A mercy that anybody, believer or unbeliever alike, can exercise. But the mercy that Jesus describes here most specifically refers to only that which comes in and through the Holy Spirit. And we'll come back to this. But what then specifically is mercy? Here's a brief definition. A virtue of mercy is a holy compassion of heart whereby we are moved to help others in their misery. It begins with compassion. That's the the state of the heart. And from compassion, the overflowing of genuine compassion are, are tangible acts of mercy. The fruit of compassion action, deeds, good works. And in this sense, we need to note that mercy presupposes some sort of sin or suffering or misery. Uh, one Puritan put it this way. Love is like a friend visiting you when you're well. But mercy is like a physician who visits when you are sick. It's the distinction maybe between love and Mercy. It presupposes some sort of sin or suffering or misery. It's like a a physician who comes to help you, to heal you, to restore you, to comfort you. A preeminent example of mercy, of course, is uh, in the parable of the good Samaritan. The traveler was robbed, was beaten, left half dead. And a Samaritan saw him, was passing by, he had compassion on him. He took care of him and he restored him back to health and he gave from his own abundance to help this one in need. Even though the Jews and Samaritans were sworn enemies, he set aside those differences in order to show him mercy. In other words, his mercy towards him did not depend upon whether that object of mercy deserved it. So the merciful are those who see others in affliction and are are moved to help them. Maybe the affliction is like a disaster, an accident, or a tragedy. Maybe the affliction is something simply like hunger, poverty, being in a place of disadvantage, being disadvantaged. Maybe the affliction is the fallout of sin. Maybe it's the consequences that follow sin. Jean Valjean, right? He stole the silver uh, from the bishop who showed him mercy, um, uh, or or, or, who showed him good, and then the bishop showed him mercy by not prosecuting him. Suffering from his sin, but yet letting him off the hook. Any kind of physical need, disadvantage, suffering, or sorrow, the merciful are aware of those experiencing those things. And from this compassion, they spring into action to help ease and help the situation. In many respects, mercy seeks to restore the dignity of those who are in misery. To uphold and affirm their humanity as made in the image of God. This is why later Jesus will liken showing mercy to others as showing mercy to himself. When you gave them a cup of cold water in my name, you were giving me a cup of cold water, to paraphrase. So in this respect, a merciful man enters into the sufferings of others. He takes on those sufferings as if they were his very own he counts their miseries as his miseries, as their grief and sorrow as his grief and sorrow. He feels their pain and thus does all he can to help ease that pain. However, there is a higher and deeper aspect of showing mercy that does go beyond just physical needs. Because we can also speak of showing mercy um, regarding spiritual needs as well, and this is important. There are spiritual aspects of misery and suffering and affliction. And in many respects, ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, spiritual sufferings are far greater than physical sufferings. For example, the lost. Those who are dead in sin. The wicked, those who are slaves to sin. The backslidden, those who are deceived by sin. The sorrowful, those who are grieved by sin. There is spiritual sin, excuse me, spiritual suffering, spiritual sorrows, spiritual misery, spiritual grief. And thus there are spiritual acts of mercy that we're called to as well. Spiritual acts of mercy is a kind of mercy that centers on relieving the consequences of sin and fallenness in the lives of others. So, in this respect, and we're going to return to that in a moment. I keep saying that, but all of these things we will come back to in some sense. But this is the kind of mercy as well that Jesus uh, speaks of here. Both a physical and a spiritual act of mercy. So we need to know then that mercy is not just throwing money at someone um, who's in need. Mercy is not, I don't know, raising taxes so that those in poverty get their fair share. Mercy is, is not just blowing the trumpet when, when you do give so that everybody sees that you gave, like a Pharisee. Mercy's not just caring for the body with no concern for the soul. Mercy's not just helping relieve the symptom of suffering while ignoring the underlying disease that caused it. And also, mercy's not just giving people a gospel tract but withholding a donation. It's not preaching to them without physically helping them. It's not showing physical mercy only um, when they deserve it or somehow, um, in some sense, uh, have earned it. You know, in that sense, uh, you know, it's, don't be mistaken. Showing mercy, you don't use like physical mercy such as, I don't know, money or meals or help. We don't use that as leverage in order to shove the gospel down their throats. We certainly don't hold it out as a carrot, you know, like a carrot on a stick saying, okay, if you respond the right way, I will give you this help. It's both and. One without the other is not truly mercy. Physical mercy, spiritual mercy. And that's what Jesus is speaking of here, because this mercy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. This mercy is the product of faith and love for God and for neighbor. And in that, it overflows an act of goodwill towards the body and the soul of any of those in misery. So that's kind of the character of maybe the disposition of those who are merciful. But I want to get more specific. And so that's what our second question is aimed at. Secondly, what does a life of mercy look like? I've described it in general. Let's get more specific. Let's uh, make some application here. What does a life of mercy look like? And again, we need to think about this as both physical and spiritual acts of mercy. What does a life of mercy look like? Well, it's active. And purposeful and intentional. Showing kindness and seeking to show kindness towards others. In fact, this really highlights the importance of living in community. It also highlights the importance of living in and among the world. Which is what we are commanded to do. Go out into the world. Be in the world, but not of the world. Because being in the world and being in community will bring to our attention the sufferings and miseries of others and giving us opportunities to show them mercy. You're not a merciful person if you seclude yourself from community. You're not a merciful person if you shelter yourself from the world. You're not a merciful person if you spend all your time doing your own thing, focused on your own pleasures and your own hobbies and your own task in life. It's so easy, isn't it, to to get distracted with with life, with our own life. So distracted that that we don't notice those in needs. Opportunities for mercy pass us like a ship in the night. So the life of mercy is, is, is one that looks actively, intentionally, purposefully toward and for those in need and are ready to give their time and their resources to help. This is why, for example, James, in James chapter 2, identifies what is true in undefiled religion. Visiting orphans and widows in their affliction. Showing mercy often is just being present being present with those who suffer. Not worried about being inconvenienced. The the, the misery of others, the affliction of others is their top priority. They stand ready and willing and looking to help in times of need. Of course, it's not just their time, but also we are called to be giving of our money and possessions as well. And that's why part of the merciful life is purposely and regularly setting aside a portion of our money to be used for the good of others. The merciful, know that whatever God has given to us in life, whether it's a salary of twenty thousand or one hundred and twenty thousand a year, whatever God has given us, He's given us for the purposes purposes of using a portion of it to help others. And that is not subject to your particular economic demographic. No matter how little or how much you make, God has given you that particular amount so that a portion of it might be used for others. So a merciful person sees that. Okay, everything I've been given, I've been given to be a good steward from God and that through my abundance, having more than I need, and trust me, we all have more than we need, God intends to help and answer the prayers of others through my abundance. In other words, it's a tremendous privilege to be used by God to help others. It's a tremendous privilege to be used by God to answer the prayers of others. God has given us more than we need for that very purpose. And so a life of mercy entails a very real, a very active, a very intentional life of giving and serving and helping others who are less fortunate than us. And I'm not just talking economically, I'm just talking about even circumstantially. Anyone in misery, anyone in affliction, in sorrow, in need, whatever that might look like. That's the life we're called to in the gospel. Now, as important as this is, we need to understand the spiritual side of mercy as well. Because maybe at this point we might think, well, you know, mercy, mercy, mercy. There's a lot of people in our our day that, that, that love to show mercy. We have lots of nonprofits that help those in need. Mercy Ministries, right? Um, We have government programs uh, to help those in need. We have charitable giving and and willingness to help the poor and needy all the time in our day. And yeah, that's true in a certain respect. We are fortunate enough to live uh, in a day where there's a very high standard of living. Uh, There's lots of resources and help for those in need. But again, mercy is more than just financial mercy. And it's more than just physical mercy. Because when we think about the spiritual side of mercy, then we kind of realize we really live in a very unmerciful world. Because what does what spiritual mercy look like? Spiritual mercy is a life where we cultivate a heart of compassion... For the souls and spiritual relief of others. The merciful evangelize. They look for opportunities to evangelize. Because it's unmerciful. To not tell lost sinners their condition. And the judgment that they face. The merciful call sin, sin. Lovingly. Appropriately fittingly, wisely, considering the time, place, moment, occasion. But it's merciful to warn the wayward. Not to show indifference toward them. Not to just say, well, oh, they're going to get what they deserve. But to seek to help relieve the spiritual consequences of their sin. The merciful pray for the salvation and sins of others. Asking God to relieve their misery. The merciful comfort and encourage the sorrowful with words of wisdom and love. The merciful do not look at sinners who are suffering for their sin and say, well, they, they're getting what they deserve. They don't look at those who've fallen into sin and say, well, you know, they should have they known. They should have resisted that temptation. I, I did. Now they're going to have to get themselves out of this mess. You know, even sinners help other sinners in need. There's nothing special about that. Mercy is helping those who don't deserve it. The merciful person desires good for all. Sinner and saint alike. And they seek to relieve the suffering and misery of all. Even the suffering and misery that is a direct result of their sin. Because being merciful really in in many respects is the opposite mindset of getting what they deserve. This is really the aspect of the merciful life that really stands out. That's why one of the chief ways in which we embody the merciful life is in our willingness to forgive. Because when someone sins against us, what do we want? Justice. They need to pay for the wrong that they've done. They need to restore what they've rightfully taken from me. They need to suffer the punishment so they learn their lesson. I want my pound of flesh that's only right and that's only fair. But when we forgive, we show them mercy. We refuse to retaliate. We refuse to take revenge. So often we refuse to bring the weight of justice down upon them. Justice is what gives people exactly what they deserve. But mercy is leniency. It's forgiving. It's compassionate. It's long-suffering. It's opening the cell door and saying, you're free. No strings attached. If all you're ever concerned about... Strict justice and people getting what they deserve and, and reaping what you sow and paying what you owe. You don't understand mercy. As we'll see in a minute, you really want justice for yourself? That's not going to end well. The merciful life is one that takes pleasure and forgiving and overlooking offenses. Seeking to relieve sinners from the suffering they often deserve. I'm going to repeat that. The merciful life is a life that takes pleasure. Not through gritted teeth. Not just because, well, I guess I have to. Takes pleasure in forgiving. Takes pleasure in overlooking offenses. Takes pleasure in relieving sinners from the suffering they often deserve. How in the world can you do that? Well, it starts with just that realization no matter what I've experienced in life, I have it far better than I deserve. I've been shown the mercy of God in Christ. Yes, this person has sinned against me. Yes, maybe they have brought on this suffering. But I've done far worse to my God and Creator. And He's shown me mercy. He's not given me what I deserve. Therefore, let me embody the Gospel. Let me embody the nature and character of God. And show that towards others as well. It's like pride and self-righteousness cannot reside in the merciful heart. Pride and self-righteousness is always focused on what people deserve. The fault finding of how everybody is messed up. But the merciful, they've been humbled, they're poor in spirit, they've mourned, they've become meek before God, they've received His free gift of righteousness, and this changes everything. It changes their entire perspective on everybody else. That's what the life of mercy looks like. Well, after considering who the merciful are, what the life of mercy looks like, thirdly, finally, how do the merciful receive mercy? How do the merciful receive mercy? And how does this relate to us becoming merciful ourselves? Well, it's an important question, because as I mentioned earlier, it sounds a lot like Jesus says, if you show mercy, you will receive mercy. It sounds as if the ground or the cause of our receiving mercy is if we ourselves give mercy. But we need to stop and we need to recognize right away, we can't earn mercy. Mercy by its very definition can only be undeserved. That's why if our mercy earns mercy for us, Jesus would have said something like, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive justice. For they shall receive what they have earned. For they shall receive what they deserve. For they shall receive what is theirs by right. And that goes against the gospel. He doesn't say that. In fact, even if we were just honest, would it be insanely foolish to to have it otherwise? Do you really want the basis of God's mercy towards you to be the measure by which you've shown mercy toward others? I don't care who you are. You can be Mother Teresa for for all that matters. If that was the case, you'd be in huge trouble. Not to mention the fact that that would turn this verse into not a blessing, but a threat. Show mercy or else. So what does Jesus mean by this? I'll simply put, He's emphasizing how the merciful and their receiving mercy always go together. There's a connection here. Always. They're related to one another. They cannot be separated. And this brings us back to Jean Valjean. It was because he received mercy that he then became merciful towards others. Those who are merciful are merciful because they know just how much mercy that they himself, themselves have received. And they know just how much more mercy they need now and in the future. So the merciful in this text are those who long before they show mercy, were themselves shown mercy by God. And that's what made them merciful toward others. So, viewed in this way, then, Jesus' words about the merciful obtaining mercy, it serves to distinguish the saint from the sinner, or or the hypocrite from the genuine believer. It's clear. In fact, One of the most common adjectives used to describe the righteous, the godly in the Old Testament is merciful. That they show mercy. A lack of mercy is a sign of a hypocrite. It marks the self-righteous. It's a characteristic of the lost, no matter how righteous they may look like on the outside. That's why we read Zechariah 7 earlier. They were still performing the sacrifices, the worship. They were going to the temple. They were obeying the law. God says, you're doing it for yourself. It doesn't mean anything when you oppress, when you don't show mercy, when you harden your heart. It's a mark of the loss because because there's only one explanation for why someone does not show mercy. Because they haven't received mercy themselves. We're so sinful and twisted inward and self-focused that the only way in which we show mercy is that if we first receive mercy. So it's because they themselves haven't seen mercy or received mercy they still operate and view the world through the lens of strict justice. And that's what Jesus is bringing out with these words. It takes the receiving of mercy to make a man merciful. There is a connection between showing mercy and receiving mercy. It always goes together. Nevertheless, if we were to break this down more specifically, what does Jesus mean when He says the merciful will receive mercy? How do we receive mercy, or what does that look like? Well, in some sense, temporarily in this life, we are blessed. That's what He's doing here. He's pronouncing a blessing. We are in a state of blessedness. And that itself is an act of mercy. To be blessed is to not get what we deserve. Having the privilege of then showing mercy to others is a blessing as well because of the the great joy and happiness and good that it does to us. That's why the Lord says it's more blessed to give than to receive. There's that word again, blessed. So when He says they shall receive mercy, part of it is that your mercy brings about more blessing. And your mercy then is, or shoot, that blessing then is a receiving of mercy. Not to get confusing there. Showing mercy is a blessing in and of itself. Not only that, but don't we know that it's true that, that when we show mercy to others, we're more likely to receive mercy from others in this life? Whether we're talking about marriage, or business, or raising children, or... Other relationships? If we have a reputation for being hard and strict and fault-finding, always making sure that that the punishment is equal to the crime, how how do you think people are going to treat us when we sin, which will inevitably happen? How are they going to treat our weaknesses and our mistakes? If we've refused to show mercy and we have just been strict and just, how how do you think they're going to treat us? But what if we have a reputation of turning our eyes and ears toward those in need? What if we have a reputation for being forgiving and compassionate and kind and lost long-suffering and patient towards people and overlooking offenses and covering a multitude of sins and giving and serving and volunteering when others are in misery or in help? When we are then experienced that kind of misery or suffering, People see that. And they will show us mercy as well. There's an element of truth to the fact that the mercy we receive is in this life. Ultimately, though, what Jesus is promising, though, of course, is a mercy that we will receive on the last day. Hebrews 6.10, God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints. At the last day, the merciful will receive mercy. And that's what Jesus ultimately is pointing to here. Isn't that what we need most? Pardoning, saving, forgiving, mercy? Isn't that the most common cry on the deathbed, God, show mercy? Don't we think about the courtroom of heaven and thinking, I'm going to throw myself onto the mercy of the court because I know what I deserve? Christ alone is my only hope. Here we have this firm and unbreakable promise. One sure sign and guarantee that God will show you mercy at the last day is your own compassionate, forgiving mercy towards others. Because it's evidence that the grace of God has already changed your heart. It's evidence that, 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 that you are a citizen of the kingdom of God right now. It is evidence that the new creation has begun in you through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus is pointing to here in part. The merciful are those who have been born again. The merciful are those who have a glorious future inheritance awaiting uh, them. The merciful can know for sure, be active and intentional in showing mercy. Because God will show you mercy and has shown you mercy. And ultimately will show you mercy at the last day. And yet with all that being said... Want to bring this to a conclusion and think about the fact that we still maybe haven't answered rightly, fully, this last question. How is it that we receive mercy? And here again, I just want to circle circle back to where we began and this story of Jean Valjean and this bishop metaphorically buying his soul redeeming him from a wicked criminal life of, of as a wicked criminal to a life of good what a beautiful analogy of what happens to us in the gospel because if you've placed your faith in Christ the same is true for you today as well when Jesus died on the cross mercy and truth came together God is still just and fair and righteous because your sin is still punished. It's punished in Christ, in His death, for you. But God is merciful as well because in Christ, He does not count those trespasses against you. There is forgiveness, which is an act of mercy. You don't get what you deserve. Not only that, but there is help and relief there is the gift of the spirit, new life, the blessings of the word, the church, the kingdom, to, uh, the kingdom of, of heaven to come. All of these things flow out of the mercy of God. And so in this respect, we can speak of Christ's death and resurrection as purchasing our soul, purchasing it for good. No longer, although you once were, no longer are you a crook, a criminal. You committed treason against your God and Creator. No longer are you a thief. No longer. But now God has shown you good. Now God has given you new life. Now, even though you have countless times repaid evil for good to God, in His mercy, Christ has redeemed you. He's purchased you so that you're now His. He's purchased your soul for good works that God prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. And so in this respect, we look back and we see this is what God has shown me and we look forward in the sense of now He has called me to walk in this way. How then do you grow in mercy? How then do you continue to grow and experience the blessing that Christ promises here? It's only through faith starts with that regular, weekly, daily reminder, feeling your sin, receiving the gospel afresh, knowing that it's not by works, basking in that joy and amazement of what God has done for you, so that you then model that in your relations towards others. It becomes a part of you. The God of all mercy, the God who is mercy itself, through communion with Him, participation with Him, we receive mercy from His fullness, and it transforms us into instruments of mercy ourselves. Brethren, this is yet another way in which the the Beatitudes reorientate us with reality. The Beatitudes are real life. It shows us who we are, not um, um, what we deserve, but what's been given and done for us in the gospel. And it changes our perspective on who we are and who God is and what he's done. And this changes us from the inside out. Being blessed by the mercy and favor of God, we then show mercy and favor towards others. The image of God is renewed in us, and the purposes of a God of God are fulfilled in and through us. Brethren, this is a happy life. This is the flourishing life. This is the blessed life. This is the life that is yours already. No matter how merciful or unmerciful you may judge yourself to be, this is the life and the blessing that is yours if you are in Christ today. Take that assurance and comfort with you. Go out and live a life of joyful gratitude and obedience to Him for His glory. May God give us the grace to do just that. Amen. Let's pray.